What a day God has given to every single one of us this morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day. Welcome. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are many references throughout the Old Testament where everyone gathered together. It says, even with the little ones. And they read the word of God together. I want to begin by reading a most important text. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples the word of the Lord. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin our time this morning? Father, as we come into your presence, we thank you that we can come in the name of the resurrected Savior, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every single person that is here. If they have been coming to church since they were a little one or whether or not this is the first time that they were here, God, I would ask that you would speak through your word, through your spirits, and that together all of us would hear, learn, and know who you are. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together. May we keep you as our focus first and foremost. We ask, Lord, that everything that is spoken, sung, and done would be for your honor and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> there are many, many blessings um, that God has bestowed upon this church. And one of them, I believe, are the many children that are part of this body. Uh, kids are frighteningly exciting, aren't they? I was speaking just recently to a young mother and her husband who go to this church. I will leave them nameless to protect the innocent. They are a young family with four little ones. And, and the mom was telling me that she was diligently working at the kitchen table with one of her children Focused, and she could hear as moms have this instinct, hear something in the, the nearby bathroom that did not sound quite normal. 
and natural. There was a lot of splashing. There was a lot of water that was hitting the floor. And so she left her one child at the kitchen table and went into the bathroom to find their middle son who had taken rolls and rolls and rolls of toilet paper and stuffed them into the drain in the sink to fill the sink up with water so that it was overflowing all over the floor. A very sharp mother said, Oh my goodness, who has done this? To which the little boy drew gall replied. I don't see anyone. It must have been Jesus who did it. We got to get some new theology taught to our families and to our children. I thought about that. I thought about, in a sense, we try the very best that we can to understand the incarnate God, the maker and ruler of the entire universe, and yet he becomes what the God-man, Jesus, a baby who actually messes his diapers, a little baby who, when he, 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 he falls over or scrapes his knees, he cries because it hurts. But yet, he's also one as he grew. He never once backtalked his mama. He never picked a fight with his brother. He lived in absolute perfect life. He preached a radical message, and he was killed. He died, but he did not stay dead. Now, you've got to admit, there's a bit of a blur in our understanding here. How does this work, like Easter time, really? We get it, kind of. We understand it, sort of. But we realize that what God is, he is just so big, so perfect, and so powerful. And so what do we do? We come to Easter, and we know we should do this on this particular day, and we go to church, hopefully once in a while. We try to obey his word, and hopefully what? Hopefully it just all works out just by being as good as we can be. And what happens, I find, is that there is with many people today what I would refer to as a strange restlessness when it comes to our faith. That in all honesty, we still all kind of admit that we struggle at times with things like sin and temptation. And there, are, there are seasons, moments of joy and contentment and, and, and fleeting minutes of happiness or success, but what we don't feel oftentimes that holy. We can't really fully achieve it. We can't understand it. So what happens is that what? There's almost a there's almost a boredom. For many people, when it comes to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens? We have a moment like this where we are gathered in the hundreds. And there is a day like Easter. There is no better time, I believe, to hit refresh. There's no better time to, to renew and to remind, or perhaps you're sitting here today and it will ignite in you for the very first time a real faith in the resurrected 
Jesus, the resurrected Savior. Now, we know that there are literally hundreds of world religions and belief systems that are based on philosophical propositions. But of those hundreds, there's only four of them that are based on personalities instead of a philosophical system. And of those four, only one of them, biblical Christianity, claims a risen Savior, an empty tomb as part of the story of its founder. There are four personalities. Abraham, whom the Jews recognize as founder of Judaism, died around 1900 B.C. He was buried in the cave of Machpelah, the, the cave of the patriarchs, along with his wife Sarah and sons and grandson Isaac and Jacob. There was no resurrection that ever claimed him, ever. There is Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, was never ascribed a resurrection. The earliest accounts that are written are this, and I quote, with that utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. There is Mohammed, the founder of Islam, who died in 632 A.D. He's buried in Medina, and his tomb is still visited literally by millions upon millions of devout Muslims. And then there is Jesus Christ, who died, as they estimate, somewhere around 33 A.D. and was raised from the dead that same year. That Jesus rose from the grave sets our faith, sets biblical Christianity apart from every other religion. Now, there is no doubt, you hear this all the time, many people struggle to accept and believe. As a matter of fact, they, they choose to refuse to accept that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so there have been many theories over the years that have been presented. Theories that have captured people's attention to try to explain away the resurrection. One of them is referred to as the stolen or the moved body theory. It basically states that the disciples stole the body and the whole thing was a lie. But it's interesting that 11 of those 12 disciples then what believed the lie so much that they offered their life to be killed in horrible ways. The only one that was not killed was John, who was boiled in hot oil before he was exiled to Patmos. They did all of this for a lie? Another theory would be the hallucination theory. It asserts that all who saw, everyone who saw the resurrected Jesus, 12 disciples, all the women, James, Jesus' own brother, the crowd of 500 people were, were, were actually strange visionaries or they were mentally ill. Everyone who saw them, that they hallucinated the risen Jesus through a neurotic or psychotic vision. It's interesting that we have no account of ever any of the characteristics of hallucination seen throughout the Gospels. Another theory is referred to as the mistaken identity theory. Let's believe anything but that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So the mistaken identity theory states that the 12 disciples who virtually lived every single day for the previous three years with Jesus, who never expected him to rise from the dead, understand what? They came to the conclusion that he would come back to life and that they what? They misidentified a complete stranger as the resurrected Jesus. 
Another theory is the disciples visited the wrong tomb theory. I really don't need to explain that one very much. And then get this. The History Channel, you can watch it. Discovery Channel, you can watch it. Not Geo, you can watch it. This is the number one leading theory of how and why Jesus really did not rise from the dead. It is referred to as the swoon theory. Let me explain it to you. This states that after Jesus had virtually most of his flesh ripped off of him by scores and scores of Roman lashes, after his hands and his feet were pierced with six-inch spikes by which his entire body weight was supported and suspended for more than six hours as he tried to gasp for breath, after he had a Roman spear driven up under, under his rib cage into his heart and lungs, which caused blood and water to flow from him, then after all of that, he was not really dead. He was just unconscious. Unconscious. So that after three days with no food and no water, he woke up, he unwrapped the grave clothes that were wrapped tightly around him with 75 pounds of spices that it would have hardened by that moment. He moved a one to two ton stone by himself and walked seven miles to Emmaus. Now, I have got a splinter before and the world has to stop. Gentlemen, as tough as you are, you can wake up in the middle of the night, stub your toe and what? And you will limp for the next three days. Let me tell you this. Jesus really lived. And Jesus really died. Jesus was really entombed for three days. And Jesus really did come back to life. Why? Why, like, why all of this script for us? In the book of Romans, and in chapter 4, I want to direct your attention to verse 24 and 25. It says this, and I read. <clears throat> it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Those last few words you can kind of park on. He was raised for our justification. Why? Why all of this? Okay, these words were written. We know what? Jesus was resurrected in Matthew chapter 28. Forty days later, we know in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends up into heaven. He sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven. In Acts chapter 2, we know the Holy Spirit descends and the church was born. The gospel explodes. It literally explodes. Moves from Jerusalem to Rome to the rest of the world. And it was in this church in Rome that the Apostle Paul years later wrote this whole chapter for us. All of Romans chapter 4 is written using an example of the patriarch Abraham's faith in God and God alone as an example of justifying faith. 
just it was counted as a blessing and a benefit to Abraham and his entire family for eternal generations to trust in God who promises, protects, and provides. Paul writes this, it will be counted to us, us who believe in him, believe in God, who what? Who raised from the dead Jesus, but he also delivered up Jesus. God the Father delivered up his own son. What? God did this for our trespasses and our justification. Now, now that word justification, I, I know that there are many people here and there are here for many, many reasons. Easter once a year. Perhaps you are here because you had some annoying neighbor that would just not leave you alone and so you decided to come today. Some of you kids are here because your mom and dad woke you up and, and what? And forced you to be here. I have no idea. Some of you could have been drugged and dragged here for all I know. But I am certain of this. You are here for a reason. And we hear a word like this, justification, and we, we lift our hand and say, excuse me, what exactly does that mean? All of Easter, all of Easter for the purpose of our justification. Raised for our justification. What is that? Justification is defined as this. It is the act of God. Which means it's not you. It's not me. It's the act of God whereby humankind is made or accounted just or free from guilt or the penalty of sin. Think about this. Justification through the death and burial of Jesus is the only solution to the greatest problem that you and I have. You're like, well, speak for yourself. You got the problem, not me, Boger. No, no, no. Let me explain it to you like this. There is one infinite, one infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God who created all things for his glory. God made it all, and God knows it all. From the biggest star to the deepest part of the sea to the highest mountain on every mountain range, on every planet, in every solar system in the entire universe. God knows it all. To the tiniest cell, to the tiniest atom, every bit of mitosis, to every thought and every event, and how every single event literally fits together for all of eternity. God made everything, the air you breathe. He made the sky and the land, and the stars, and the water and the planets and the animals and bird and fish. He made every single person. He made marriage. He made sex and family and babies and children. He made all the food and the flavors that we enjoy all for his glory to be enjoyed, to delight in. And he did it so that we would worship him. But there's a problem. We take the things that God gave us and we elevate them over the one who gave them to us and that is sin. And you can take anything and people take everything and they lift it above God and it is so wrong. 
What happens is that we try to belittle God's glory by thinking that our way is actually better than God's way. And we fail to give him the glory that is due his name. What, what happens here? We question all the time. God, do you really know what you're doing on this one? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. We neglect to see him. We neglect to thank him for, for what? The fact that he is the giver of every single breath and every single heartbeats, every movement. We forget the gifts and the graces that God has given to us and shown us. And yet we do it with what? We do it with the brain and the lungs and the mouth that he has given to us. I read this week is referred to as the great blasphemy of the universe. Where you and I have a problem that we live in utter rebellion against God. And man celebrates man. We like for us to look bigger than God. And we try to make God look smaller than he really is. We belittle him. But what? But God being a just God, not going to allow his name to be belittled, God is not going to spare what? His wrath, and he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, born in the flesh. And God crushes him. Crushes him. It says that he delivered him up. And in so doing, he poured out his wrath against the children of God onto his son. Killing him. Killing him. But then God raised him from the dead. And do you realize that the exact same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in the lives of those who believe? The power of God is at work in the lives of those who believe. That is the gospel. Have you ever have you ever been caught before? I'm not asking, have you ever done anything wrong before? I know the answer to that. Ever been caught before? There's like blue lights behind you. Oh, you immediately check like, whoa, whoa, how'd that happen? And you pay a fine. Ever get caught picking a fight on the playground before and you end up going to detention or getting detention? I was, I was four years old old, four years old. I was in the grocery store with my mother and at the end of one of the aisles were those circular bins of hard candy by, by Brax, I think. And you put a nickel in and you take a piece. And I remember as I went up to that bin of candies, I looked around at four years old and I took a butterscotch disc with yellow cellophane wrapper around it. And I put it in my pocket. And I looked again to make, sh no one, make sure no one was looking. 
I, I, I remember I even, as a little one, helped my mom carry the groceries into the house. And as soon as I was done with that, I immediately went to my bedroom. I went into my closet. I closed the closet door, sat on the floor, and I took out my, my little candy. And I began, to, I began to unwrap it. And they're loud. No sooner had I got it unwrapped and put it in my mouth and there seemed to be a strange burning sensation as my closet door opens up and my mother sees me sitting on the ground. She asked me, where'd you get that candy? No joke, no joke. I think it cost a nickel. I had to find a quarter or work for a quarter. I had to literally be... I, I was driven back to the grocery store with my quarter to pay five times the amount of what I had stolen back. We had to literally find the manager that went over the speaker. Would the manager please come up to the front of the store? And I had to, I, I couldn't say I'm sorry because that wasn't allowed in our family. I had to give the manager the quarter. And I had to ask him, will you please Forgive me for stealing the yellow butterscotch candy. Now, all of those things, was I justified at that moment? Absolutely not. I was taught a lesson to never, ever steal again. And to this day, I don't think I have ever taken any candy or anything that doesn't belong to me. You see, it wasn't until uh, sometime after that that what I realized, and it was a simple child that was later taught a message that Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And when I trust his work, I could then be forgiven from my sin and I could be justified. Realize every single time I see one of those little yellow candies, I am reminded that Jesus truly justifies us and he justifies us through his death and resurrection. And when I put my faith and my trust in his work, not mine, then I am forgiven. Do you realize this? It doesn't matter if you have stolen a piece of candy or stolen a car. Do you realize it doesn't matter? It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have anger in your heart or you have committed murder. It's all equal. It's all sin. It doesn't matter if you look lustfully at another person or committed adultery with that person. It's all sin. Pride and self-righteousness any of it and all of it. And we belittle God's glory by thinking that our way is better than his way. And we fail to give him the glory that is due his name. Mm. But like, like why, why does this matter? Like why, why, why do we talk? It's Easter, Easter. Why do we talk about things like stealing and doing wrong and sin and guilt and, and penalty and punishment on Easter? It's about Easter bunnies and chocolate eggs. No, no, no. Easter 
is about what? Is about the fact that he was raised for our justification, that we have right standing. We have been made right. We are made just. When we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. People, it, it is true. I checked. It is Easter. And, and he has risen. And it is not about what you do or what you do not do. We do not celebrate us, but we are to celebrate him and him alone. Do you realize this? That when you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ and you surrender to, to him, you offer him your life. Do you realize this? That you have been saved literally from the kingdom of darkness through the resurrection and ushered into the kingdom of light. Which means what? That you and I have been saved with a purpose. There is to be no restlessness. There is to be no, no boredom. There is to be no <clears throat> sitting around and waiting for heaven. That, that is not at all what it means to be a Christian. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. We have been justified for what? For impact. Every single one of us. It doesn't stay here, but it, it swells up and it, and it bubbles and boils over in the community that God has called us to live in. You have been saved to become one who every single minute of every single day with every single word and every single decision become one who proclaims his glory. It makes a difference. We look around our community and we live in a community where there are people that are blinded in sin. And we see things like poverty or oppression. We see injustice, not just in our community, but the world around us. And yet, do you realize that those things should not only dissipate, but they should disappear when the church is doing what the church has been called to do? You're like, yeah, but, but those things still exist. Like, they still exist in our world. Yeah, get to work. Get to work. That's what God has done. That's why God has called us to be His own. Go to work for His glory. The resurrection reminds us we have been justified. We have been reconciled to be a servant of reconciliation. Do you realize that? Hear me. You have been reconciled to be a servant of reconciliation. Which means what? Get out. Get up. And talk to others about what Jesus Christ has done. And offer to them the good news and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give more. Give more and cut out, come out, cut out some of the, the silliness of the non-essentials that we think that we, we somehow deserve in this life. <clears throat> Stop complaining about being bored and restless and wasting time playing games. Men watching porn. Quit that. We've been reconciled to be what? Servants of reconciliation. Stop thinking that Jesus rose from the dead to make your life easier or to get you what you think that, that you should have 
or that Jesus rose from the dead to make you more comfortable. Stop thinking that the whole world revolves around you. And hear and heed the truth of God's words. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just, in my schedule, I mean, I am really busy. I am really in demand by a lot of people. I just don't have the time. People, when you are not reaching forward, when you are not preaching truth, when you are not living life openly and authentically, when you're not being proactive in your faith, let me tell you this, you will be unsatisfied and you will continue to be miserable and searching. Many people wrongly, wrongly think that that they will wait until all of their heart issues, all of the, the pride problems are fixed and then we do the work of God. Then we become a servant of reconciliation. It will never work that way. Hear me on this. The work is done. He cried out, it is finished. He has risen. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. My justification. Christ is risen. So what do you do? You trust him. You rest in him and you become a servant of reconciliation. You're moving forward for his glory. When you do that, God will reveal to you the areas that need to change. And you will, you will need to ask for forgiveness and repent. Praise God. That's what the Bible is all about. And what happens, what happens is that the word of God the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to have amazing impact in the community that we have been called to live in and serve. Remember, all of Romans 4 was written what, as a testimony of Abraham's faith. Was he perfect? Uh, no, far from it. He lied. He doubted. He slept with somebody else other than his wife. And yet God still used Abraham. Just like God can still use you this morning when you surrender and when you put your trust in his work. I don't know about you, but I am most grateful for days like this, moments like this. I, I am most grateful that we serve a risen Savior, that the work is done. That when we surrender and we are obedient to his word and we listen to his spirit, that there brings not just a sense of order and direction, but there brings an overwhelming sense of joy. I can't help but tell others that he is not here. He's not in the tomb. He's not in the grave. He's not dead. I can't wait to tell others he has risen. Father, we love you and we thank you for people's attention this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the kids being so well behaved. I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come and gather like this and celebrate your resurrection. But I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of why you rose from the dead for our justification that we can be made right in your sight. Now, Lord, I would ask that you would draw unto yourself anyone in this room right now at this minute, draw them unto you, speak to them, 
And may they know that from this moment, if they put their trust in you, Jesus is alive. And we have faith in your work that you reconcile us unto you and that we become servants of reconciliation. May, may that happen. That is our prayer. We leave at your feet. We love you. We thank you for graciously and patiently loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand with us, please?